morning. Did you all hear me? So it's nice to be introduced as one of the oldest, and not the oldest. So okay, <laughs> as long as it's not the oldest. Yeah, I'm happy to be here this morning and to get up close and personal to the young people especially. And I don't think, I'm, and uh, I'm sure they are also, you know, those who have been here for a long time and uh, we don't really know one another. But thank the Lord that we have this uh, single opportunity to interact later if you, if you wish. Right, as the title of this morning's sharing, uh, this afternoon's sharing is Sex and Pleasure, raises the expectation that you know, there'll be a lot of talk about the excitement of sex and so on and so forth. But true, uh, except that you may not find much of this in the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs does talk about sex, yes, but it does, uh, but at the same time, it gives some prohibitions. Uh, it gives God's guidelines on how sex is to be enjoyed and how sex is to be used. In fact, I think the, uh, the best book on sex and pleasure in the Bible is the book of the Song of Solomon's or the Song of Songs. And I think some of you may be familiar with the contents of this song, uh, of this book. Um, on the screen there, you will see a slide that is taken from chapter 7 of the Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon has eight chapters, all of them written in poet, poetry form. And they uh, actually, they describe the exchange of love notes between a woman and her lover. And the lover, who is the husband-to-be, is a handsome young man. And uh, in the notes that they write to one another, he will then re return her in response to what she writes about him. He will write about her and they give uh, information about the beauty and um, you know, the attractiveness of each other. And uh, there's very, uh, in some, some, some parts of the, of the song, you will find a lot of graphic details given. Right. So uh, let me just read through, and uh, this is a sampling of what Song of Solomon is about. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter! Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an, op like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools in Heshbon by the gate of Bath Rebim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like camel, and your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. So this chapter from the Song of Solomon celebrates love between a man and a woman of his choice. Um, as I said, it's an exchange of love notes between the two of them. A very familiar quote from the book of the Song of Solomon, which some of you may be familiar with, is from chapter 7, verse 10, I am my beloved, and, my, and his desire is toward me. So this is expressed by the woman as she and her husband look forward to their sexual union on their wedding night. So we want to read more about what sexual love is all about, what sex and pleasure is about between a man and a woman whom they, who are married. Read chapter 6, 7, and 8 later today. Now it is clear from the contents of this inspired book that God looks with favor on sex in marriage. God designed it as a wonderful gift to mankind. And the next slide shows seven things about sex 
And I know this is, in a sense, a pretty um, uh, audience. Uh, this is audience where mainly maybe three quarters of you are not married, but you will probably have some notions about what sex is all about. So I'm going to ask you to raise your hands uh, with regard to each one of the seven things that are positive about sex. Okay? So if you believe, for example, sex is romantic, put up your hands. All right. Good to see a mixture of responses from those who are married and unmarried. And how about Daryl and uh, the newly married? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, Ellen as well. Okay. Now, second one, sex is tender. Do you agree? Yes. So the opposite of tender is barbaric. Huh? So you don't think that. So the rest think that sex is barbaric. Huh? Third, sex is passionate. Right. So it's good to see that. Uh, sex is holy. Right. In the first congregation, more of the women put up their hands. <laughs> right. Six, uh, fifthly, sex is reciprocal. I'm seeing more responses on this side of the all congregation. Yeah. So it has to be a, a, a two-sided affair, not just one person and the other is disinterested. Okay. Sex is fulfilling. Yeah. Okay, again, the same groups of people. The rest reserve their judgment. <laughs> and then sex is about God's sacrificial love. It's a reflection of God's sacrificial love. That I think we all can agree, right? Okay. Now, the more serious part. Yeah. We know that God, in, in scriptures, God instituted marriage as a lifelong relationship between one man and one woman. Now, in this relationship, the love of the husband for the wife is compared to the love that Christ has for the church. And there is a mystery and a secretness about the marriage relationship. The best passage I can think of in the New Testament that reflects this relationship is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 to 33, which some of you who have attended marriages or marriage services would be familiar with. Let me take the time to just read through with you, or would you like to read it together since it's on the screen? Right, let's read together. Ephesians 5, 25, 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife, loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So God is fair. He has instructions both for the husband and the wife. God designed sex. And someone has said if God is the designer, then he has every right to determine or to instruct how to advise or require or to mandate how this special gift that he has created should be handled, should be used or ex exercised by the people that is given to. 
to enjoy. And this is clearly shown in two verses that I picked from the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honourable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. We'll look at them later, what these adulterers and fornicators are. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3 and verse 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Notice that these passages are addressed to children of God, believers in Christ. And God lays down His expectations. So what do we mean by sexual immorality? Well, there's a range of practices. One is adultery. Two, fornication. And fornication includes casual sex, which means sex with strangers. Premarital sex, sex between two persons who are not yet married but intend to get married. <clears throat> sex with prostitutes or harlots. Right? These have come under the broad description of fornication. Third kind of uh, sexual malpractice is incest, which is sex between family members, child with a parent, or between siblings. And this was one of the sexual problems that the, first, uh, the church in Corinth faced. Then there's homosexuality and lesbianism. <clears throat> Next slide gives us a definition of what adultery is. Adultery is sexual intercourse between a married person and someone who is not his or her mate. This is what one would call as an extramarital affair. What do the Old and the New Testament say about adultery? Exodus 20 verse 14, the Ten Commandments is <clears throat> list the Ten Commandments, and in the Ten Commandments, is the prohibition against adultery. You shall not commit adultery. Leviticus 20.10 states the death penalty for adultery. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbour, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Then in Matthew 19.18, in quoting the Ten Commandments to the rich young man, Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, and he lumps them together under one commandment. You shall love God as yourself, uh, above everything else, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he summed up all the Ten Commandments under that commandment. In Romans 13 verse 9, Paul sums up <clears throat> the Ten Commandments, including you shall not commit adultery, into one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, giving an insight into the root of adultery. So what is sexual immorality? Now, again, uh, this site just quickly uh, describes what fornication is, between two, uh, sex between two unmarried people, and it includes, as I said earlier, casual sex, premarital sex, and sex with prostitutes. All right? So the next slide, we ask ourselves, why is the Bible so serious about how serious sexual sin is? Why does the Bible give so much... Um, attention to describing the consequences of sexual sin. Well, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 to 20, to try to understand this. Paul says to the Corinthian church, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body, for it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord 
is one with him in spirit. So flee sexual immorality, and King James Version uses the word fornication there. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So here again, clearly Paul is addressing believers. Now why is sexual sin serious? We can think of many consequences of sexual sin. Firstly, it says that sexual sin is sin against one's own body. Now, every sin we commit is outside our body. For example, stealing, swindling, bearing false witness. But there is a spiritual dimension to sexual sin. It is a spiritual sin in that it violates our body, which God planned to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. As children of God, you and I, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we unite our body illicitly, it is an insult, it is a sin against God. Second, as I said, it shows disrespect for God's creation for another reason, and that is this, that when God created our body, we can find this in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16, God created a body with a special purpose. He fashioned it, designed it with his own hand, and he had in his mind sometime in the future where this body that he has created will be a temple for his Holy Spirit when he redeems men. So sexual sin is a spiritual sin in that it violates this body which God has already planned to be his temple. So indeed our physical body, see our physical body as a divine masterpiece, specially created by God for a very holy purpose. So the act of illicit sex shows our failure also to be faithful as a steward of what God has entrusted us to care for. God has given us to be caretakers of our body because, and He wants us to keep that body pure so that His Spirit can indwell it when one day in the future He saves us and brings us out of darkness to light and we become His children. Now the third thing about the effect of sexual sin is that it has repercussions to those around us, who our immediate family members, our loved ones, and I think this is obvious, right? But the last but not least, the most frightening reality about the consequence of sexual sin is that it will keep millions of offenders out of heaven unless they repent. And this, we can see, is very clear in Paul's teaching and warning to the Corinthian church. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The unrighteous refers to those who have not been made right with God, those who are outside the kingdom of God. They have not yet received the gospel of righteousness, of the gospel which is the righteousness of God. So they, being unrighteous, they will be participating in all kinds of sins. Immorality, idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, thievery, greed, drunkenness, reviling, swindling, and so on and so forth. None of these, unless they are redeemed, unless they repent, will inherit the kingdom of God. So then we come to the book of Proverbs. Book as we, this book, as we know, is a book of wisdom. Right? It gives us wise teachings with regard to how we conduct our lives. We have looked at its effects, its guide, the guidance that we can receive from it in previous weeks, 
with regard to how we deal with the sin of pride, of anger, of, ang of, of uh, envy, the, how we use the wisdom of God in running our family relationships, etc., etc. So today, the last in the series, we look at how the book of Proverbs, and in particular, we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 7, the story of a young man's fall into sexual temptation. Now, King Solomon begins this story, begins chapter 7, repeating what he has taught in chapter 4 and chapter 5. Right? He implores his son to keep my words, store up his commands, to guard his teachings, to bind them on their fingers, to write them on the tablet of their heart. In other words, to keep his teachings, his commandments, very, very precious and very close to their lives, very close to their hearts. And he says, if you do so, these will protect you from the wayward wife with her seductive words. And so he has in mind this thing that has happened, and he describes the incident, this encounter of a simple young man with an adulterous woman. That means this woman is married, but she is a temptress, right? So King Solomon tells this story, beginning of, with how this young man don't know whether he's bored or he's looking for trouble, but he walked straight into the district where this woman lives. And as he walked down the street, he saw her. But she saw him first. And then she went out towards him, and before he could utter any word, she embraced him and kissed, her, and kissed him. And then she told him that her husband has been away, it will be away for a while implying that there will be some safety if we have some fun together. And then he says, I've prepared a very nice room. And she tempts him with the beauty with which the room is decorated. It's expensive linen, and then there's the scent of perfume, which is from expensive spices. So imagine the temptation that came to the man when he heard all this, and the fact that this woman is giving him 100% attention. So he was completely vulnerable. And what happened? Did he bargain with her? Did he say no? Did he say, don't disturb me? Did he run away? No. Like in the next word, we have, next slide will show to us what he responded or how he responded. With persuasive words, she led him astray and seduced him with her smooth talk. And what did he do? All at once, all at once, he followed her all at once. There was no hesitation, which means that this man probably had in mind that he wanted to have some fun. And so here was the opportunity and he just grabbed it. And it tells us that he went in like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into the snare, little knowing that it will cost him his life. Then comes the very ominous words. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. So behind this story, there's a basic premise, right? And it is this, that sex outside of marriage is a violation of the character of God and of His laws <clears throat> and has deathly consequences. Now, what, can we, what else can we learn from this story? How is this plot developed? We can see three storylines to the events in this Proverbs chapter 7, right? 
One is the storyline of seduction, two, destruction, and then thankfully there is also instruction, something we can learn from reading what happened to this young man. So the first storyline is of seduction. This simple young man encountered a temptation that is so attractive and so powerful that he was unable to resist it. Now, there are many things that may make it difficult for a young man to receive and live God's wisdom, like three quarters of you here, so that they are vulnerable to sexual temptation. This is not to say, however, that only the young men are exposed to this kind of temptations. Right? Older men do. So too women of every age. They all have their own challenges and challenges to pure living. Satan is not going to leave them out. Satan not only targets the young, but also has his plans to trap and to trip the older men and women. Yet, we do not deny that what I'm going to share with the various factors are often more severely felt in the lives of the young people. So you young people, listen carefully, see whether you agree with me. All right? The vulnerable factors, the, your vulnerability to fall into sexual temptation. What are these factors? The lack of life wisdom. This is not an insult, but it's a fact, right? Unless you have grown up being very streetwise, wherever stage you are in your 20s, late 20s, maybe even early 30s, you would be considered to be relatively lacking in life's wisdom. You have not experienced enough um, difficult things. You have not experienced enough craftiness, enough wickedness, enough evil in your life to be able to discern what is good, what is bad, and how to respond to them. Would you agree with me on that? Yes? I think some of you nod their heads, yeah. The second one is the desire for and gaining of independence. I mean, those of you who have just entered national service will realise oh, what a freedom you have experienced, what a freedom you have. Those of you who are going to study overseas, away from the watchful eyes of your parents, you also feel what an independent, you, you, you will be very joyful over the possibility of independence, right? No need to be told what to do, how to dress up, how to clean this room, how to keep this and that tidy, etc., etc. You, you are your own boss. And there's some temptation in that, right? Then the third truth is that physical and sexual maturity may run ahead of spiritual and moral maturity. Some of you may be just new converts, new Christians, right? And in terms of spiritual maturity, it is far behind your chronological age, right? And that could be a risk factor for you to fall into sexual temptation because the spiritual values may not have been assimilated by you at this early stage of your Christian journey. Some of you, especially those who have just started work, how many have you just started work? You have money, right, of your own. And then with that, the freedom to spend it the way you like, right? So that's a big temptation. Then there are young women who may, knowingly or unknowingly, encourage moral impurity, right? And you will probably recognize this if you keep your eyes open in your places of work. And of course, it, it holds true too for there being men in the same, with the same intentions to trap others into impurity. Now, the spirit of the age that we live in also promotes moral uncleanness for young men. 
Would you agree that that is true? Right? There's a lot of temptation for young men in the world today where you live. And then last but not least, you mustn't underestimate the importance for young men, especially the desire to be accepted by their peers who face the same challenges. Right? And they want to show that they are hero and they are, you know, they are above, they are able to handle whatever life brings and to show that they are different from, you know, they are more savvy or whatever reason. Uh, so there's that, that temptation to, to be above their peers or to be accepted by their peers or to be admired by their peers. That's a very basic human desire. So we have to be aware of that. Now, knowing these factors, I think raises the challenge to us who are seniors, older ones, to recognize that there is opportunity for mentoring the young in our midst. Right? We all know that Pastor Chiming has started a program for mentoring between older and younger members of the church. Some younger ones have indicated they really desire to be mentored. And so the senior ones, have, older ones have taken the challenge and decided that yes, they were going to give some time to these younger ones to guide them in their transitions in life so that they go along the right journey, uh, right paths in their spiritual walk. So those who are seniors here and who feel that yes, there are you know, young adults in their midst that they can relate to and share their life experience with so that they can be encouraged to walk in the proper, in the right and narrow path, uh, do see Pastor Chiming for, for, to show your availability. But how does the devil seduce us? He's in the same business of seducing men and women today to cause them to fall into immorality and to claim their souls for his kingdom. He does, and how does he do it? These are a list of things that I think you all may agree with and also have something else to add. You know, we look around the billboards around us, not so much in Singapore, but overseas, I'm sure you'll be aware of it. All right, the intrusion of television shows and movies with sti stimulating sexual images, right, is not, is uh, uh, doubtless that's true. There are men or women who don't dress modestly, they'll be seen all over the place. In some places, to be more aware of that, in the magazines and other literature that scream sex all the time. Getting too involved, this, uh, for those who are young working adults, be wary of being involved with a platonic friendship at work. It may even, be, it may even start off with um, uh, noble motives. I want to help this colleague of mine who's also a Christian and, uh, you know, guide her along, guide him along, etc., etc. And soon, the platonic relationship develops into something that is not desirable. Then, of course, there's easy access to photography, uh, pornography on the internet, and now we have the smartphones, right? And talking about smartphones, you know that if you have younger siblings below 12 years old, and if they have a handphone, right, they can also easily get exposed to pornography, yeah. So those of us here who are parents, we need to be aware of this danger that, of giving that kind of early freedom of access to media to our young children at an age before they can even discern what is right and what is wrong. And then there's the ease of availability of contraceptive devices. We all know condoms are readily available in these uh, petrol kiosks, shops, right? And then social, with, social, uh, with advances in social technology now, it becomes easier for us to, make anon to arrange anonymous meetings with people who are looking for sex. Right? And uh, in the 
safety of anonymity, things can happen which are beyond our control. Now, then comes the second storyline in this story, Proud 7, that of destruction. So what began with pleasure for the man, we know ended horribly, because we read that he was led like an ox to the slaughterhouse, and then he joined the numbers of those men, of those victims that this loose woman has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. This reminds you perhaps of a serial killer at work. So it raises goose pimples in you, does it? Yeah, so be careful who you associate with. I think that's basically the underlying message. So what are the consequences? Does this man get away scot-free? We know that he, well, he didn't. So what are some consequences of uh, life and death uh, to life that may happen when we participate in sexual immorality? They are largely medical, because there are many more beyond this. All right, this slide shows you sexually transmitted diseases like gonorrhea, syphilis, HIV. Right? And then there's the emotional burden of guilt with the fear of discovery. And all these three factors may lead the person to depression, separation, isolation from people around him, and this can lead him into suicide. Yeah. So these are the deathly consequences, unhealthy consequences leading to death that sexual sin can bring about. And um, one has to be fully aware that such things can and do happen. So what King Solomon was saying to his son is that this young man's immorality took him down a road that led him away from God, away from holiness, and away from eternal life. And that is the sad and inevitable consequence. So this is what the Bible underscores in the next two verses, uh, James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Next one, in Galatians 6, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. Man reaps what he sows, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So these are two warnings from the Word of God about sexual immorality. Well, then there's hope. The third storyline is one of instruction. Proverbs 7 is not only a story of seduction and destruction, but it's also one of instruction. That means there is a way out, there's a way to prevent, there's a way to overcome. Now the whole purpose of Proverbs 7 is to instruct us, warn us, to teach us to avoid the tragic mistake that this young man made when he sought the momentary pleasures of a one-night stand. So what instruction can we find in the story? First, if you read Proverbs 7 carefully, you will find two powerful weapons to help us stay moral in an immoral age. The first weapon is the Word of God. This brings to mind Psalm 119 verse 9. I think some of you may have memorized this in your earlier days as a Christian. And it is relevant to the youth, to the young of today, 
Psalm 119 verse 9 aptly answers the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it, that means by guarding his way according to God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Psalm 119 verse 11 says, expands on this action of keeping God's word in your heart. It says, uh, 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 of letting God's word guide him. He says, my, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So there is this additional action of keeping God's word in one's heart. Yeah. Now the, the devil doesn't have any tool that is more powerful than the word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, we know this in Matthew chapter 4, three times he was tempted and each time he quoted the Bible. And then after the third time, we read that the devil left him. Why? Because there's nothing else to fight him. There's nowhere else to tempt him, nowhere else to make him to fall and give homage to him. So Satan left him when Jesus used God's word consistently. So there's an example for us. So if you and I fill our minds and our hearts with the word, we will all have the wisdom and the power that we need to walk away from the traps of the evil one. Solomon understood the importance of the word. But you and I, we can't live out what we don't know. And so that's where the challenge comes, for us, comes to us. We must read and study God's word so that we grow in discovering and knowing the treasures that there are in God's word. And until you know, we reach that stage where we find that these treasures, we will find God's word as something that is very irrelevant, dry, and uh, no, no, no help to me in my life. We need to find the treasures. And the, looking at and seeking treasures is not easy. Right? But we don't want to have the knowledge of God in an academic or intellectual way. But we want to have, when we study God's word and obtain uh, knowledge and understanding of it, that there is the intent to apply the word of God in our lives. Now the next two slides are those of ducks, right? And they are meant to illustrate the point, you see. Now, the first slide shows a duck that skims the surface of the water for food. And what do you think the duck will get when it just skims the surface? Either nothing or it can be less, uh, small fish. Uh, not enough, perhaps, to satisfy its needs. But the second slide shows you that of a duck that dives, dives deep into the water looking for big fish. And uh, to me, these two slides, these two pictures illustrate the point about how we approach God's Word. We can either look at it superficially, which means just reading it one year in, one year out. We can you know, depend only on the Sunday sermons to be our food intake, spiritual food intake. But that's not enough. We need to get into the Word ourselves. We need to be diligent, disciplined, and determined to take time to study God's Word for ourselves because that's food for our souls. Because God's Word is described as treasures of wisdom. And you don't get treasure from just sniffing around here and there. Right? You need to really work hard. You need to investigate, etc., etc. You need to really get perhaps even teamwork to encourage one another in the journey to look for the treasures. So slide 22, this book shows you, uh, this slide shows you a particular series of studies called the 40-minute studies. 
because uh, you know that some of you may be very busy and you think that oh you know for me to really dig deep I don't really have the time even though that is profitable for you but if you can make time for this study series it is just one hour and you don't have to be you don't have to prepare for it ahead of time you go to the study and you do the study on the spot and so if you have a group of four or five people in your CG for example six or seven or eight all of you study at the same time, you go through the passages for at the same time, and then questions will be raised that will facilitate an understanding of those uh, verses. And they will be focused on one topic, and this topic in mind, uh, in particular, is what does the Bible say about sex? And this is one of the books that I read in preparation for the message today. But there are other topics related to Christian living, etc., etc., work life, and real worship, that really will be of great value to you. Right? So it can be done if you have limited time. But this is basically, it won't be sufficient, but it's meant to whet your appetite to have more and more of the Word of God in your life. So you need to experience the goodness of what God's Word can do in your life so that you can then be motivated to give greater attention and time to it. Now the next slide tells us weapon number two in our fight against the, temp, the, the tools of the evil one. And that is how to be vigilant to be, to, in order to avoid temptation. In other words, walking down another street. Now, this is where I want you to pay close attention to the strategy of the devil. If you are a child of God, you are a believer in Christ, you are a sitting duck for Satan. Satan will want to tempt you. Satan want to dis, uh, put you astray, get you out of the will of God. Yeah? And the way he does that is through sexual temptations, falling into it, getting into the grip of sexual temptations so that these affect your spiritual journey. And then you will follow his path, which leads to destruction. So isn't it true that if you give him your attention for five seconds, he will consume your mind for five minutes. I think all of us have experienced this. Yeah? We flick, flick and click, and something comes out that attracts our attention. We say, oh, it's only just for two seconds. But then it goes on for two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, very soon, perhaps even half an hour, one hour. But the negative images that are left over from that session may bother us for hours, for days, and may lead us into temptation or doing things that we normally would not do. So, the warning here is, let us guard our, that admonition here, is let us guard our gates. What are our gates? Our eye gate, our ear gate, what we hear, and also our phone gate. Yeah? What comes into our phone, our iPhone. Nowadays, things may just pop up without us even asking for it. And then, that thing just in a split second distracts us, and when it is tempting, and seductive, we get drawn into looking at it longer than we ought to. Yeah? So if you know that you are weak when you're exposed to media, like this, the TV, smartphones, and computers, what should you do? What should you do? What would you do? Yeah. So that's a question that you will ask yourself. You should make up your mind now. Yeah, what you would do. You should determine to do so. Let's listen to the advice of Paul in Ephesians 4, 27. Give no opportunity to the devil. So we approach 
temptations like that with the attitude that we are not going to give the devil the opportunity to use this as a bait to sidetrack us down the narrow path, uh, the path to death, then half the battle, I guess, is won. Yeah? It has to begin with us making the decision to give no opportunity to the devil, which means switch it off, cut it off, throw it off, whatever, whatever it may entail. Because if we entertain temptations, soon we will find temptations entertaining us. Yeah? And we will get drawn further and further away from God. Slides, the next two slides uh, show us the analysis of the responses to a, to a survey about life of Christians in the church with regard to the exposure to pornography. And uh, this was in April 2017 when we had about 249 responders. Right. So we, from the analysis of the results, we found that 69% of male worshippers had viewed porn in the last 12 months. 69%. And 12% did so at least one time per month, and 18% viewed at least one time a week. However, for the women, percentages were one-third less. 23% of women, two-thirds less. 23% of women worshippers had viewed porn in the last 12 months, with only 3% viewing at least one time per month. None viewed one time per week. So, implying that there's less frequency of exposure to pornographic materials amongst our women worshippers. The next slide shows you the youth, that the PPH view, youth who viewed porn more than one time per month, four in ten were guys, and one in five were girls. Now, we all know the effects of porn on our hearts and minds, right? As I said earlier, it's just a flick and a click away from the path that leads us into unclean thoughts. And the teaching of Jesus on this is that while we may not have committed the physical act of adultery or the physical act of fornication, Jesus says in Matthew 5.28 that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah, so this is the outcome of looking at images they are not as innocent as you think. And you may not, and we may not be able to handle them as well as we think we can. Right? If we are depending on our flesh to do so, we are bound at one time or other to fall into the trap of the evil one. Yeah. So the second strategy, fight against temptation, is beyond, in addition to the word of God, knowing it, assimilating it into our lives, is to memorize the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Remember that this Lord's Prayer was given to the disciples in response to their question. Lord, teach us how to pray. How many of us today ask God to teach us how to pray? Because we are sincerely wanting to connect with God in prayer. So when the disciples asked for it, He gave them this pattern. Right? And so it's now flashed on the screen. Some of you may not have memorized, uh, read this before, but now it's a chance for us to Say this prayer together. So can we read to, together meaningfully and thoughtfully? Right? Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, the Methodists do it very regularly. If you have Methodist friends, you know that this is one of their, you know, standard prayers. It can become standard to the point that it becomes meaningless, but it, need not, it should not be. But it should be something that you meaningfully pray and mean every word of it every day because it will add kind of ammunition against the evil one because you're asking God to be on your side to lead you not into temptation but to deliver you from evil. So, dear brothers and sisters, there is a tremendous battle going on and the battle intensifies each day, right? To corrupt our minds and hearts, to entrap us into sexual immorality and impurity. And sometimes this may lead us into very strange behaviour. Some of you may have read or heard over the video or over the news in Korea, the South Korea host, uh, hotels, right? Where, uh, where cameras were planted, in, uh, in hundreds of cameras planted by a pervert in the rooms. See? And so what makes that person to reach that stage in his journey to do such a thing is probably a long-drawn fight with pornography. And uh, so this is one of the impacts that uh, that uh, one of the outcomes of addiction to pornography. It can twist the personality, the mind of the person who is uh, entrapped in it, making him do things that are really, really out of sync with society. So let us seek, however, let us, we don't have to be victims of this. We don't have to be uh, prisoners in what a commentator says, um, digital dungeons. Digital dungeons. We don't have to be victims or prisoners in this kind of in this kind of uh, entrapment. Okay, let us seek to be victors, not victims, in this battle for our minds and our hearts and our souls. I would like to lead us uh, in two prayers after this, which I believe some of us may have prayed before, right? And um, Firstly, it's found in 1 John 1.9. We'll read the verse which says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So may I lead us in a prayer together? And meaningfully say the words, Lord, do read with me on the screen. Lord, we confess our sexual sins and we seek your forgiveness. We thank you for the cleansing power of the blood of Christ over all manner of our sexual sins. Thank you that we are not condemned. Romans 8.1 assures us, as children of God, if we have the righteousness of God in us because of acceptance of the gospel and receiving Christ into our life, there is no condemnation for us if we are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Galatians 5.1 tells us, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So right now in Christ, we are completely forgiven and free from all accusation. Because we have on us the righteousness of God, God looks at us as if we have never sinned. 
And that's what it means to put on, to, that's what it means that the gospel is the righteousness of God. That when we receive it, God looks at us and says, there's no sin. We are washed clean by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> so we must believe it, right, that as children of God, this is the blessing that God gives. We are not doomed to digital dungeons. We are not, and we don't go online with our palms up and our hands wrists ready for Satan to chain us, right? To tell ourselves that, you know, we are made for better things than being in a digital dungeon, right? But if we choose to be in a digital dungeon, then that's the choice that we make. And we have to bear all the consequences that go along with it. Yeah. Now the next prayer, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So let's pray together. Lord, we commit our battle against sexual temptations into your hands. We acknowledge the enabling of your Holy Spirit who indwells us as your children to overcome all sexual temptations. We claim the victory in Jesus' matchless name. You know, the battle is not ours to fight alone. You all remember the story, some of you may be familiar with the story of David and Goliath. David, the youth, and his opponent, a 10-foot-tall giant called Goliath, right? Goliath was making fun of David's God, bullying the Israelites, all of whom were too scared to confront him. And then he decided that, yes, enough is enough. He's going to get rid of Goliath. And so when he confronted Goliath, what did Goliath say to him? He says, you are so young, you, are so, you don't even have any weapon. I'm going to make mincemeat out of you. I mean, not literally. But, you know, Goliath was so confident. And David was very, very defiant. And his confidence was in God. And he says, you know, that the battle is not mine. The battle is God's. The battle is God's. And with that, of course, we all know, he released a stone with a, slip, with a catapult and hit the head of the Goliath man, of this Goliath giant. He died immediately. So that story tells us that when God fights the battle, he will win. And that's the kind of battle that we are fighting. We are not fighting with our flesh and our blood, but we have God with us who fights the battle. So we have to be confident. We have to have faith. We have to trust that God will give us the successful and victorious outcome. But it all depends on whether we want to be pulled out. You know, when rescuers come to rescue you, if you choose to remain in the dungeon, you will remain in the dungeon. But if you choose to come out of it, you will succeed in coming out of it. You know, we have the Holy Spirit in us that we have just prayed that God, we have been assured of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can claim the presence of God. We can commit the battle to the Lord and He will fight and win the victory for us. And when we study the Word of God for ourselves, God gives us so much treasures to enjoy that all the things that pornography offers is nothing in comparison. So we need to learn to find out what are the treasures in God's Word so that in comparison to the joy of discovering God's Word, anything that pornography can offer that is so, you know, precious or tempting to us now, 
will mean very little. And that's one way that slow, slowly, bit by bit, you know, we replace our diet for, spiritual, for pornography with spiritual food from the Word of God. But it's not going to come to you on a plate. You have to be diligent, determined, and disciplined to dig out the treasures for yourself and to enjoy that spiritual food that will give you a distaste for what pornography offers in exchange. But in this journey, the assuring thing is that you are not alone. You have brothers and sisters with you who will fight the battle with you, alongside you. You have elders and pastors who are going to be available to guide you and help and pray with you. But there must be a certain degree of openness, right? We all don't want to put on our Sunday best and, and give the impression that everything is fine and dandy and then the rest of the week is hell, right? We don't want to live defeated lives. We want to enjoy the victory that we have in Christ, the blessings that, of being in sweet fellowship with the Lord that we can enjoy, which will be so much more meaningful than what pornography can offer, right? And uh, so in closing, let me just pray together with you, pray for you. Our dear God and Heavenly Father, we come into your presence this morning and we, you know a lot our weaknesses, you know where we have tripped, you know where we have fallen, we know that each one of us is guilty. But at the same time, Lord, as we have brought this before you for your cleansing, we know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin and all unrighteousness. Father, we pray that you will give us the determination and increasing desire, the discipline that is needed, Lord, to seek out the treasures of wisdom that lie in your word. So that, Father, when we enjoy this, we will not want to seek for anything else to satisfy our, our desires. Thank you that, Lord, you are more than sufficient to, to provide this need that we, we are seeking for. That we will find satisfaction, Lord, in the real <coughs> spiritual truths that, we, that are in the word except that they remain to be dug out, they remain to be discovered. So give us, Lord, that, that continuing discipline and the desire. Help us as a band of brothers and sisters in our groups, in our ministry groups, to support and encourage one another in this journey, in this uh, treasure hunting, so that, Father, we can uh, really Lord, enjoy the fruit together, so that, Lord, we can be a force to reckon with against the attacks of Satan and his elements. And we know two friends who are also caught in pornography and some of whom are miserable and sad and, and, and addicted. Give us your compassion to reach out to them, to bring them into your fall so that, Lord, they can be brought out of the net of Satan and that they can be brought into your kingdom. So thank you that you have given us the, the, the weapons that we need to win this battle. And we thank you that, Lord, the battle is yours, and we, are, you, we hold your hand, and you, we know that as you lead and guide us, you will be into victory. So help us, Lord, to leave this room today, knowing that, Lord, uh, we know that we are not victims of, this, of the evil one, but we are victors. And so we claim this victory in Christ, and we pray that you will continue, Lord, to show yourself faithful on our behalf as we put our trust in you. Thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, before we go, uh
want to echo what uh, Elder Benny had mentioned about this topic here. Um, based on the survey we have seen um, from there, as well as from observations, we, have, we know that people are struggling with this area. But I have good news for you. You don't, there is hope. Based on what you say, there is hope. And secondly, you don't have to struggle alone. You don't have to struggle alone. We understand that it's going to be a long journey. You don't have to struggle alone. So, I want to encourage us. Some of us have gone for training to be equipped to help people. And I have worked with people who are struggling with pornography, as well as people who are struggling with sexual sins. And the pastors, as well as the leaders, are open. So, I encourage you, if you are, this is one of the issues that you are struggling, please come and talk to us. I know it's not just an issue with men, it's also an issue with women. So, come and talk to us. We want to journey alongside with you to help you. And uh, I want to encourage you. Uh, there is hope. We want to create a safe environment in PPH where we can uh, all work together in freedom. Okay? Thank you.